Hi, listeners. You can now listen to this community podcast production ad-free on Apple Podcasts and access the podcast one week early and get exclusive bonus content. Just hit the subscribe button now on Apple Podcasts. Or if you want access to all of the above, plus video versions of the podcast, head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. I'm Sarah Ferris, true crime podcaster. And I'm Catherine Schweit, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. And you're listening to Stop the Killing. Welcome to another episode of Stop the Killing. We are really, well, kind of privileged actually to have a lovely guest with us today, Emily Romrell. Emily's been a longtime listener of the podcast and, and also a Patreon supporter, which we really appreciate. So thank you for that. But Emily sent in a email the other day and my ears and eyes pricked up and I thought this is definitely a conversation we need to have because it was around the successes that she has had in her own community, changing things within her school system. And I was like, we have got to sit down with Emily. I know how hard it is to change these systems. So I was like, how have you had so much success? So Emily, could you give us a little introduction about who you are, where you're at, and how you became sort of invested and involved in stopping the killing, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So I think one takeaway that I'd love for people to have from their time listening to this podcast is that I'm just a a mom with no special training or experiences in this kind of thing. I studied elementary ed in undergrad. I ended up working in the finance world for about a decade before retiring to be home with my my three kids. But then I became interested in mass shootings and how to stop them. And so through that, my husband introduced me to your work, Kate. And from there, I found your guys' podcast. So I'd been listening to it for quite a while. And I can't remember the episode specifically, but you had mentioned an anonymous reporting system. And now every time I listen to Stop the Killing, I'm like, I'm doing dishes or whatever, I'm making dinner. And I, I'd i set my spatula down and I'd run over and write down like whatever I needed to look up. Wow, <laughs> I wrote that's down. Impressive. Love that. Yeah. I love yeah. that. We've been on lots of culinary adventures together, the three of us, that you <laughs> both don't know about. Oh, I wonder what our Maybe signature dishes. Yeah, we can put out our own uh, cookbook. Yeah. Kids and recipes. <laughs> no, I love that. I bet hilarious. <laughs> So Emily, how long ago was it that you thought, what is an anonymous reporting system and does my school district have one? Well, it was shortly before the shooting at Covenant School. And I looked for it and I I didn't really find anything. And I thought, I'm going to put a pin in this. I'll circle back. I'm sure we have one. I'll, I'll just need to find it. 
And after the shooting, I became much more frantic or determined in my search. What my district had at the time was a a paper form, a bullying incident paper form. So it didn't talk about like leakage or, you know, animal cruelty or someone who's withdrawing, any of those signs that we see in young shooters. But it also didn't address things like drugs or eating disorders or other things that kids are facing. It was very specific to bullying. So can I can I just take you back just a little bit? You're living in what region of the United States? Yeah, I'm in the Mountain West. I'm in Montana. Which is a lovely area. And you have three kids who are elementary school, right? Um, my oldest is in second grade and my middle's in preschool and my youngest is still home with me. Right. So you, you've got a road ahead of you of kids who are going to be in school. And yes. obviously you're going to be worried about their safety. So you're sitting there making a chicken pot pie and you're thinking, okay, I need an anonymous reporting system. You know, when I cook, that's what I think about too. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that I'm not the only person. Sometimes I feel weird. <laughs> uh, so I just wanted to make sure I understood you've got a few kids. You're thinking, okay, what's the school have? And you're confident that they have an anonymous reporting system because why wouldn't they? Yes, exactly. Mm, yeah. Okay. Interesting. So that was your fallback as you're assuming that they had one already. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh yeah. I mean, perhaps were- many of our listeners. Yeah. There's a million reasons to have one and to support it and to run it very well. And there's no reason not to have one other than awareness sometimes. So who did you approach or how did you find out what your school district had? I shot off an email to both my principal and the superintendent. And I just said, you know, in light of recent events, I've been learning about warning behaviors that people exhibit before they commit something like this. And I've learned about the value of an anonymous reporting system. How how do we report warning behaviors? I've found this bullying prevention form. You know, do we use that? Is that is that our system? So he emailed back and said, yeah, that's our system. And of course, you can always call 911. You can always call me and you can always call your principal. And he gave me his direct line, which I think he meant for that to be very encouraging. Like, I'm super reachable. But knowing what I knew from this podcast, it gave me a pit in my stomach. I remember reading his email and just like feeling this like drop where I was like, no one's calling the principal to report, you know, a little thing of leakage that. It's probably a joke, right? In quotes. <laughs> I knew that the warning signs were such that going to the principal, going to the superintendent, going to 911 would feel drastic to the people yeah. who witnessed it. Yeah, absolutely. As a step too far, isn't it? I mean, it's hard enough to pick up the phone to report something that it is actually a crime sometimes, let alone you doubting yourself as a mother, as a parent, as anything, and you're like going, uh, you know, this could be something or it might be yeah. absolutely nothing. How dare I waste someone's time? Oh, absolutely. And I feel like what you hit on is exactly right. Like wasting someone's time. And that's where the value of an anonymous reporting system comes into play. Because even if it's going to those same people, even if it's going to the superintendent or the principal, it is telling the community, like, we care about this. Waste, waste our time with this. We want to know about it. And I think that message and having that avenue there is 
absolutely critical to getting people to actually speak up when they see something. So what was your next step when you got that email? Then what did you do? I don't know what I would have done. Well, I emailed him back and asked if we could meet. What I told him was, I will prepare a short presentation and I'll be brief and not waste your time. I made that clear because I think people are weary of like, oh my gosh, what is this going to be like? I said, I'll be succinct. I'll be brief. I'll prepare a little presentation and let's talk about why we need one. And I asked him to give me a couple weeks to get my stuff together. And he responded and asked me to come in the next week. (laughs) But I guess the good thing there is he was clearly uh, not blocking you. No. I mean, I think there are some things you can do to help increase your chances of having a good outcome in working with superintendents. But I also think a little bit, sometimes it's the luck of the draw. And I just happen to have two really responsive uh, superintendents, which I'm super grateful for. And they've continued now that this new one has continued to show that he's humble enough to listen and consider perspectives different from his own. We had a meeting just uh, yesterday to talk about our lockdown drills district wide, and he was open to reconsidering some things that he had originally put in place. So I'm super grateful that my superintendents have been open. Yeah. So what blows my mind right now at the outset is last Christmas, you were trying to decide what to buy kids as gifts or Hanukkah or whatever you might celebrate. And this year, you're in your school planning for better lockdown drills. (laughs) Right? I mean, it was never even on your radar. No. But That's the interesting, so cool. well, yeah, it is. And and it's honestly, you guys, I've told you this, and it's because of the amazing work you do that has taught me what questions I should ask and then what resources are available to me. And then it's easy to look at the school and suddenly you know stuff that your school doesn't know. And so it's just a matter of going and saying, Hey, have you considered this? And then you tell them more about it, and suddenly change is happening. And I've kind of become like a trusted person in the community where when they have questions, they reach out. And if I don't have an answer or I don't have ideas, then I just tell them, sorry, I don't know. I'm grateful for your work that has empowered me to do that. You know, I don't think you can discredit how much of you is in there because, yeah, definitely a bit of moxie. So tell me, you've got to the stage now where he's prepared to have the meeting with you. How does that go? Yeah, the meeting went really well. So I did have an ace in my pocket, which is my husband is a med peds hospitalist at our local hospital. So he does half his time on the peds floor and he sees a lot of suicide attempts. Like every single shift he's on, he sees someone in our school district who has had this problem. It's It's a real problem. So I asked him to come with me to the meeting to speak to the bullying aspect which is also something that the anonymous reporting system would address. But I started my presentation with the data from the FBI. And so I got the you know active shooter reports and it showed a very concerning bar graph of our mass shootings are on the rise, our active shootings. So I made that case. And then I shared the data that on average, an active shooter shows 4.7 warning signs uh, before their attack. <laughs> I love that you are pulling all that stuff out because that's the data that can't be ignored. You can see things ahead of time and you do have time to react. 
I love yeah. that. Yes. Well, and going back to what Sarah was saying about having the confidence, these reports gave me the confidence because it's one thing to go in and say, I feel like we need this. It's another to go in and say, hey, the FBI says this uh, and here's the FBI report. It wasn't my words. And I think that was largely what gave me the confidence was knowing I was speaking truth and I had the data to support it. I made that case of the 4.7 warning signs. Anytime I'd use that that stat, I point out to people that in order for it to have counted as a warning behavior in this study, it had to be observable by someone else and cause more than a minimum amount of concern. Because I think those two factors are important, that, that we have 4.7 times that someone's going, that did not feel right. That makes me uncomfortable. It's not just four-point warning signs that may or may not be seen. Yeah. So yeah, these I were mean, signs that were seen. Yeah. Exactly. How many were? were seen yeah. in people yeah. who did commit this kind of violence? Yes. Well, and I made the point that for shooters who are students, that the people who are most likely to see those signs are their classmates and their teachers, which is again from that FBI uh, report. And that's that's important too, because it's not 4.7 times that a neighbor or a family member seeing it, which I know that can be the case in other demographics, but the chances of us seeing a warning behavior, us being our school community, seeing a warning sign is is high. Yeah. 92% of the time a student told another student. 92% and teachers were up there in the 80s, I think. Wow. Yeah. And you know, that stat gives me hope because how scary would it be if that stat was zero? Zero percent of the time someone sees something. And so I find that really empowering. I think it's fascinating that you had a district that had really essentially just a fill out a form if somebody's being bullied. This is a roadmap for other people. <laughs> if you have a doubt on it, here is a great roadmap. And that's one of the reasons why we wanted to bring Emily on. Oh. Well, I have to tell you how my presentation ended because yeah. it really yeah. made it easy for him. So I started with the FBI de- data about the warning signs. And then I shared the warning behavior examples from Sandy Hook Promise. And I chose those because they're specific to teens. So they don't talk about like financial difficulties or workplace problems. They talk about bullying, you know, more teen problems. So I shared those. And the point I made to him is I said, you know, as we look at this list, think about which of these someone would tell a superintendent about or tell a principal about or call 911 about and which of these we wouldn't, because a lot of these we would not. And he's like, you're absolutely right. Like we wouldn't call for that or that, you know, we could just see so clearly that these 10 warning signs that Sandy Hook promise mentions, they're not things that people would feel comfortable reporting. So I explained to him, this is where an anonymous reporting system comes in. I explained to him how they work, making sure to mention that often the way that they work is a tip comes in and there's a third party that triages the tip. So it's not that you're People who are receiving the tip are getting every single little tip, especially if it's like a misuse tip about, you know, I don't like the chicken nuggets in the lunchroom. Yeah. Um, <laughs> those are being essentially sent to you by email so you can get to them when you get to them. But the others, the more important ones, come to you through text and phone call. And 
So I kind of made the point that it's designed to be less of a time suck than you might think. And then I addressed two common concerns that I feel like people usually have with anonymous reporting systems. So the first is misuse, a concern that it'll just be misused all the time and inappropriately. And so to support my claim that that's not common, I used the annual report from Safe to Tell Colorado, which is an anonymous report. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) They reported a 2% misuse for the school year prior. Wow, that is unexpected. I would have expected that to be a lot higher. Yes, I think most people do. And I, I also had called in advance of our meeting, I had called our state program, which is called Safer Montana. And I had spoken to a representative there and I asked her what our misuse was like. And she said, it's really not bad. She said, when we first launch a new system in the school district, sometimes there's a little flurry because everyone's like curious and testing it out and seeing how it works. And she's like, but then it just becomes old hat and it's not that novel. It's kind of boring. People don't really misuse it. And, you know, Sandy Hook Promise has some good ways to teach kids what an appropriate use of the system is and what's not. They say to differentiate between telling or snitching, they say you tell to get someone help and you snitch to get someone in trouble. So even if you have a system that's getting misuse, there's ways to combat that besides doing away with the program altogether. Oh, that's brilliant. There's so many elements in there that I think are so smart that you did. Like it's a great formula for people to rinse and repeat if possible. And I think the things that stuck out for me from that are the fact that you went in not just leading with the fact that it's going to stop school shootings, but you married that up to bullying, which is, you know, then to the Mm -hmm. suicide. And it's something that you, you can't deny is happening in every community. Whereas you might have come up against people that were like, okay, well, school shootings are rare. That seems like of a lot of investment. But you've almost confronted all the barriers straight up, which is really clever. You know, there were more firearm suicides in the United States last year than firearms homicides by far. There's more firearm suicides. And suicide is such an important part of the equation because we know 30 to 40% of our shooters in these most serious shootings, often their ideation includes either killing themselves or having the police kill them. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No have you ever felt that pang of disappointment when you couldn't add a ticket to your collection because it was digital? Or maybe you just lost it? Well, StubForge.com is here to change that. Imagine this. Tickets that not only look, but feel like the real deal. Because each ticket from Stubforge is printed on the same quality stock that Ticketmaster uses and printed with genuine ticket printers. 
It's like holding a piece of the concert, the game or the show right in your hands. But Stubforge isn't just about replacing tickets. With the easy-to-use interactive designer, you can create custom tickets for anything from concerts to sports games, pregnancy announcements or parties. Why not make your invitations stand out with tickets that are as unique as your event? And if you're trying to complete a back catalogue of missing tickets, Stubforge offers bulk discounts to make it both easy and affordable. With Stubforge, you can once more give your loved ones physical tickets and see their eyes light up instantly at the best gift you can give. So whether you're looking to reignite your ticket collection, craft the perfect gift or send the coolest invites, head over to stubforge.com. Start creating today and see how Stubforge makes every ticket a story worth saving. Visit stubforge.com and start making tickets today. I think what's amazing about you is that you're doing this not because you have teenagers. The majority of school shootings are in middle schools and, of course, high schools. And here you are as a parent of little tiny kids instituting a great program for your district. It's, it's very admirable. I mean, it's just incredible. Yeah. Well, thank you. Something that I felt like I'm not going to wait. I know I'm going to send my kids to public schools. I love pe- public education. And there'll be teenagers one day. And also there's teenagers now. And, you know, I had I had a really interesting experience this summer that kind of hit hard to my my mama heart, which is just sometimes I'm sad about the time I spend on this because I want to just play with my kids and not spend time on this. And I had this experience where I was leaving a meeting with my district over the summer and I I ran to the library. I had to print something out. And as I came down the stairs and I'm on my way to go meet my babysitter who has my kids. I could see just down from the stairs, this story time with toddlers that I had wanted to take my kids to. And I just hadn't made time for it. And it just like hit me and I kind of got choked up because I was like, I want to be there. But I, I will say I do have a lot of great quality time with my kids. This has not been a major time suck. Um, of course, it's a sacrifice, but it hasn't been a major time suck. And I do feel like it's part of being a good mom. Like I cannot sit back and know that this kind of thing happens and just be okay with it. Like I'm, I'm not okay with bullying or suicide or, you know, schools that just don't feel like a happy place to be. And so while sometimes it feels like it's a sacrifice to our family, it's really for our family. And I, I know that I'll be able to look at my kids one day and when they're talking to me and saying, how do we live in a society with mass shootings? This is so disturbing. I will be able to look at them and say, it is. And I've been working hard, doing what I can to try to change that. You know, I, I won't be passive. I'd really love to know. I mean, you talk about how much time it has taken, but there's a lot of work that's gone into just that initial presentation. Like you're talking about getting information from the FBI website. You've talked about talking to your district about misuse numbers. How much time did it take to get yourself ready, to feel confident to have that meeting? Um, yeah, that week leading up to it, it was a push. Probably, I don't know, 15 hours. That's an estimate. But I'm I'm an over-preparer. But similarly, now that I have the presentation, I've been meaning to, and I just need to do this, but I thought, let me just upload it to my website and other parents can go download it and make it what they need it to be. I've already done the work. 
let's yeah. share it. So I, that's on my list of things to do, hopefully in the next couple well, of weeks. Well, when you, when you do it, we'll be happy to spread the word too. So that's all right. Thank you. I'll put it yeah. in my newsletter and that's really yeah. kind of you. The information is there, but you pulled it out of those reports. And so I love that. And, and the parts that I think are really important in those reports, I, I hear in what you said. So you clearly presented the right stuff. It's great. That makes me happy to hear. That's some good confirmation. <laughs> I just wanted to ask, you know, what happened? Okay. So, well, first of all, I was addressing two concerns. The first was misuse. The second is that often people are concerned about the cost of an anonymous reporting system. Even if you can get one in your system for free, which you should be able to for the most part, they're concerned about the cost of time and money spent chasing down tips that didn't need to be chased down. So to combat that false ideology, um, I used the the gun violence cost calculator on Everytown's website. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but you plug in your location, how many people killed, how many people wounded. So I did our location and I did six people killed. And so I went into this presentation and I said, if what just happened at Covenant School two months ago happened here, it would cost our community $80 million, whatever that number was. It gives you two numbers, one for immediate cost to the community and one for the cost over, like, I guess, more long-term lives lost, that kind of thing. So I, I made the argument that even if we're taking out the cost of human life, which we can't measure, if we take that out of the equation and we say, let's just look at the numbers, the numbers still support having one of these systems. So that was how I combated that false, you know, belief. And then to wrap it up, now this is this is an interesting part because since getting this system in the schools, I have connected with other people in the community who have said to me, wait, I tried to do that. So other people before me had been telling the same superintendent that I did, we need an anonymous reporting system. And when I talked to these people about how they did it, it was kind of a long list of things they were trying to get done. You know, we need this polling program. We need an anonymous reporting system. We need to be passing out gun locks for safe storage. I think where I differed is I was very focused on a single goal. I went into that meeting. I said, I want him to say yes to this. And then I did everything I can to make it easy for him to say yes. So an important part of that is I researched his options because I didn't want to just go in with a problem and a vague solution. I wanted to go in with a problem and say, here's the solution you should do. And here's how you implement it. So I researched anonymous reporting options. There's um, private companies that you can, they'll help you get grants or you pay them and they come into your school. There's Sandy Hook Promise which provides anonymous reporting systems free to school districts. They're run entirely on just donations and generosity of amazing people. So I called Sandy Hook Promise and I had a list of questions, things like, what's your onboarding process? Where do you set up the threat assessment teams and how often are they trained? How do you train the student body and how often? One thing that they told me on that phone call is that they had about a year-long waiting list depending on how big my school district was. So that's a pretty big drawback. But then I found we had a statewide program. And so I called them. I saw they were in a neighboring city a couple hours away from us. 
and I called them and I just explained, you know, hey, I'm a parent in this city and I'm getting ready to go present to my superintendent to try to convince him to get us an anonymous recording system. And I'm just wondering if we can talk. And I asked him all the same questions I asked Sandy Hook Promise. And I learned that this system was created and it is completely free to school districts in Montana through 2025. The district just has to ask for it. So wow. they're only in districts where the districts have reached out. Oh my and goodness. for my district, it was just an awareness issue. So in the presentation, I went over these three options, you know, the first two briefly, and then I spent a fair amount of time on Safer Montana. And I said, this to me is a really easy solution to this problem. And I gave him the contact information for the people I had at Safer Montana. <laughs> Perfect. Wow. Perfect. Yeah. Job done. Yeah. So then he did reach out to them. And I mean, our meeting was like maybe June. I can't remember for sure. And we had a system by the beginning of the school year. Have you heard from parents or other school board members or people who were like, thank you for doing this? Oh, yeah. Some people have been really great and kind of wondered how I was successful because, again, they had tried. But I really think making a strong case, you can't just go in and say, we need an anonymous reporting system. They're great. You have to educate. I had to give him the knowledge that I had gained from listening to your podcast to get him to really buy into it. And then I think also having the solution, doing the work for them in a way, you know, just so that they can say yes, easy. And, you know, it is interesting. So since doing this, I've started a little segment on my Instagram account where I do assess my ARS, where I look at your arse and tell you where it stinks. (laughs) And so (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I've looked at anonymous reporting systems around the country and just having the system is not enough. And similarly, we have work to do still in our district because in order for it to be truly effective, it has to be regularly promoted. Um, the, the administration really has to buy into the mission and the purpose of it. Um, and it has to have what I call like the hug factor. If you look at Sandy Hook Promise, Safe to Tell Colorado, Spokane has a great anonymous reporting system. You will see that when you read their pages that are like, hey, come submit a tip. It feels like you're getting a hug. It's like, no problems too big that we can't solve together. Or, you know, your safety and health matters to us. And you just have this feeling of like, well, well, someone cares. How great is that? You know, and um, I've seen anonymous reporting systems. I, I saw one in New York that was took a very punitive approach. It talked about, if you, if you go to the website to submit a tip, it says, you know, you should not misuse this this system. It's for bullying. In order for it to count as bullying, it has to be malintent. Here's the definition of malintent. And you kind of leave going, well, I don't know if, if they meant malicious intent. Like, I, you know, it just causes you to question. Yes. And there was another one I saw in Pennsylvania. And Pennsylvania passed a law saying all schools must have a anonymous reporting system. And so their their system was extremely hard to find on their website. It wasn't just go to their website and here's a beautiful button that says, are you concerned? Let us help. Instead, I had to go to the search bar after searching their whole website and type in, you know, tip or concern. And then I found it and it led with, in accordance with Pennsylvania law S25, whatever, we now have an anonymous reporting system. It practically said, 
don't sue us. We have a system. Yeah. You know, I see a lot of potential for parents to get involved in educating the administration Mm -hmm. on how to better use the system that they have. Did you ever come up against, and, you know, asking for a friend, as they say, uh, the barrier of, you know, you might have come across this on your Instagram account, that one of the barriers to putting in an anonymous reporting system for schools is that then they don't know who put the tip in. That is one barrier that I've heard very recently from a school. And obviously my argument would be, well, aren't you better to have that crumb to follow than nothing at all and wait for it to explode? So did you ever come across those kind of barriers at all? I haven't. I guess what I would say is that the anonymity piece is vital because sometimes people won't report something unless they feel like they can be protected. And I would also speak to the district administration and say, you know, if you do your best with the tip and you just can't go any further because you don't have more information, you have done your job. And so even if your concern is that I might get a tip and I can't see it through to the end because I don't know who sent it, as long as you've done protocol and you've done the best you can with that tip, your job is done. So really the anonymity piece um, doesn't matter in terms of you doing the job of the threat assessment team. Yeah. And I would just add from a from an investigative standpoint, there's a, there are many situations where investigators get pieces of information and that doesn't necessarily make sense, you know, but then later you get more information. Now they know, oh, two instances. Then you know they're not telling you maybe uh, misinformation, but also that this is a pattern of behavior for that individual. And so now they maybe they do get that name of the individual. So they're all pieces together. I think it's always a failure from an investigative standpoint to believe that one source is going to build your case. And I say that, you know, as a former FBI, former prosecutor, it takes the pieces together. So when you close the door to accept pieces of information, like you were saying, Sarah, that's just naive. It's just naive. You know, you talked about something that I hadn't even thought about in terms of an anonymous reporting system and trying to get something in place. And that was actually the cost barrier of the system. You obviously looked at quite a few different systems. What do they physically look like? Are they apps? Is it merely an email address? What are you talking about when you're talking about a really good anonymous reporting system? Yes. So this also varies across the country. I think our standards are Sandy Hook Promise. Safe to Tell Colorado, those are two phenomenal systems. But there's some important aspects. It needs to be in a way that teenagers will use. So phone calls, nope. In person, nope. Email, we're getting closer. But like text line and app, that's where it's at. And so a lot of these systems have both a text line or an app. I think the ideal is to have an app that people can go in and it has different categories. You can choose this has to do with bullying or eating disorders or just something concerning. And then I like to see that they have an other category because what if someone has something that they're thinking about reporting, but it doesn't fit into any of the categories, you don't want them to turn away just because it doesn't fit in a category. So having like a catch-all and then, yeah, they'll just have places where you can 
type out what you're concerned about. A lot of times you can opt to include your information if you want to, but you don't have to. And then you hit submit. You mentioned too, like kids won't do calls or emails, but adults might not do text. Somebody older might not report somebody they're concerned about who lives next door. So it's important that you have all the systems. I know when I was working in the FBI, there was a time period when there was a conversation with the tech people where they were thinking of getting rid of fax machines. And we were like, no, any mode. Even like the FBI has fax machines. So who still has those? But sometimes in other parts of the world, uh, other parts of the country, people send in something. And if that's the way they want to send in an image or they see a poster, the goal is to have every possible way that you can collect the information, attach it, not attach it, fax it, email it, call it. Some people will only pick up the phone and call. And that's great if that's the way, that's their mode. But with teenagers, absolutely, when we know they're the ones who are going to see it, you've got to have those extra modes. You can't just be a, a form. I've got this well, image of the FBI having a fleet of carrier pigeons that they can't retire now. <laughs> that could be true. You know, it's interesting too. So getting the anonymous reporting system in my school district is a huge win, but I'm not quite done working with them on it. And so, cause I just see little areas for improvement. And one of them is exactly what you're talking about, Kate, which is they seem to only kind of advertise it to junior high and high schools. And this is something I've seen across the country. I don't know what the word is. It's a mistake, I guess, to not advertise it to elementary schools too. And the argument is, well, they don't have phones, but their parents do. And their parents might see and hear stuff. And so you really have to shift your thought process around the anonymous reporting system to thinking of it for the whole community, not just the students. It's short-sighted, I think is the word you're looking for. It's short-sighted to not recognize that everybody can be part of the solution if we give them the opportunities. I know that we had a situation where there was a uh, kid who was planning a school shooting and had a warehouse where he was keeping his weapons. And a woman happened to be like looking out her bedroom window and she looks down and here's this kid in the middle of a school day at a storage facility. She called police and said, I'm not really sure what this means, but it seems like this kid should be in school. They got there and he's got a cache of weapons. You never know. Mm -hmm. You never know. So your next move is to get it to the elementary schools and to get it to the parents. Is that your next play? That, and we're also working on the hug factor. I I Mm. took some examples recently of things like Safe to Tell Colorado, the Spokane, and then I contrasted that with our Safer Montana, which our Safer Montana program's great. I am planning to reach out to them as well and see if they'd be open to- Of course you are. (laughs) (laughs) Up their language a little bit, but I made the argument to my school district. I mean, they could easily see the difference between ours and- some of these others. And again, ours is not bad. It's just not amazing yet. I'm sure it'll get there. And so as you contrast the two, you can see, oh yeah, this one, it feels like I'm getting a hug as I go and submit my tip. And this one feels just a little more like, oh, here's a helpful tool. And so I shared those examples for them. And I made the argument of just because uh, Safer Montana doesn't have the hug factor it doesn't mean that we can't have that hug factor in our district. And so when we send out communications to parents and families, whether it's 
newsletter, social media, like how, you know, our little communication app, we can add in that language that helps people really trust and feel like there's a resource there for them. So we're working on that. We'll work on getting it in elementary schools and then Hopefully, I'll listening. start. And if you want to know more, Catherine's next. book, so, Stop the yeah, Killing, is out now. Exciting details, stuff I'm still Catherine working on, I guess. <laughs> Please Gosh, consider also supporting our independent. Well, that's all we've got time for this episode. And I don't know about you, but I vote that we clone Emily and just put her into every school district in the world. Join us next episode as we continue our conversation with Emily covering bullying and active shooter drills and pretty much everything else in between on this topic. If you can't wait, then you can listen now or watch it now on patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. Or if you're an Apple subscriber, it is also out now. And if you want to watch the episode, head to YouTube at Sarah Ferris Media. As always, check out the links in the show notes. Thanks for listening. And if you want to know more, Catherine's book, Stop the Killing, is out now. For more details, go to katherineschweit.com. Please consider also supporting our independently made podcast. It's simple to do. Go to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. And for as little as the price of a latte a month, you can be part of the solution to stop the killing. Patreon rewards range from official do-gooder status to ad-free episodes, autographed books, and opportunities to connect with us directly for your business, school, church, or even just a book club chat. But just knowing that you are part of a movement that has the power to make your community safer, well, that's got to taste better than a skinny cappuccino any day. So please head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing now and polish off your do-gooder halo and make sure to include your name so we can give you a shout out. This podcast is a community podcast production. That's con with an N. If you want more content, then head over to community podcast at Instagram, where you'll find trailers on more binge-worthy true crime, like the award-winning podcast Conning the Con. And check out our show notes for all the links mentioned. Finally, if you want one takeaway action that you can do right now that can help make our community safer, Please share, rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. Everybody needs to know that they hold the keys to see something and say something. Together, we can stop the killing. It's one of those things you hope never happens, but you better train for it. Because it will happen. And it will happen in places you wouldn't expect. Be ready for it. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife, Maggie, and son, Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other 
true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence and give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page.